ice hockey, the game of the Winter Warrior. Frozen, cold, brutal, aggressive, manly, violent. Hello everybody, I'm Greg Proops, and this is Proops on Ice, the distilled, cleaner than snow, sports show. Get your skates on. Ice hockey's on the way up. The sport has now spread across the globe to America and Japan, to Australia and Romania. A lot of the expansion teams are being built in Minnesota and Denver and Dallas and all around the states here. The people that do follow it here in the states are generally people from affluent areas. They can spend a lot of money to go to games. The equipment is very expensive, so if they want to play at a young age, it costs them a great deal of money for ice time and that sort of thing. So you're really only tapping maybe half the population of kids in this country, which is tough. And with the popularity of baseball and football, hockey takes a second seat, even to basketball. Before Wayne Gretzky was traded to the Los Angeles Kings, hockey was not a very popular sport in the state of California. Ever since Wayne Gretzky was traded, hockey has become a booming sport. In fact, it's probably as popular in California now as it is in any Canadian city. And that just has to do with it became a popular sport, there became exposure. People got out, watched it, realized that this is not a bad sport, and grew to like it. That's the case in the UK. You know, the Manchester Storm, which is a team in the Super League, is a perfect example. Who ever would think that 10,000 people on a night would come out and support ice hockey in England? In Europe, they started playing and formed the International Ice Hockey Federation. And within that, they started playing competitions to find out uh, champions of, of the world eventually. The Americans, and especially the Europeans, have brought a more open style to the game because they didn't have as much checking and so on in their days as we did in our type of hockey. It's not just the Eastern Europeans who are preoccupied with the puck. Everyone is muscling in. It got more and more competitive when countries additionally joined on before the Second World War. The World Championships became a big part of the, the focal point of the years and uh, Canada and the U.S. joined the International Ice Hockey Federation to really make it competitive and to give a lot of prominence and interest to the game and reach that next level. The Russians started playing a form of hockey decades ago, but in about 1945-46, they decided to make their mark at the world level or at the Olympic level if they could. They started out on a little dinky artificial ice rink, and they managed to take some of their bandy players. Bandy is a form of hockey played on a much larger ice surface with a ball, and they developed some excellent hockey players for Olympic and world competitions. They were plucked from their leagues at age 12 or 14, maybe brought to Moscow, playing for one of the best teams in the nation. I think the government of Russia at that time uh, wanted exposure on the world stage, not only for hockey, but for all of their teams, basketball, let's say, as well. And if they could win an Olympic gold medal and then come home to brag about that in any of these sports at the Olympics or the world level, then uh, that was quite an accomplishment. And I applaud them for it. It was quite an accomplishment. They took off from there and had dominated the game in the 60s and 70s. We had a major tournament that took place between Canada and Russia, a super series it was called. 
an eight-game super series which was watched by millions and millions in, in Canada with great interest because we were feeling the game slipping away from us and everybody who is of the age to remember the tournament remembers exactly where they were. It's that kind of defining moment in Canadian history. And that series went eight games and was decided in that last half minute of play in the eighth game by Paul Henderson's goal. So we had to accept the fact that these Russians were darn good hockey players and they've produced a lot more of them since then. When these teams appeared in Canada, there was a great deal of curiosity about them. We kind of uh, criticized their shoddy dress, the way the sweaters looked threadbare and the skates looked like they'd been used for 10 years. But it wasn't the equipment, it was the player in the equipment that we soon learned to admire because these players had outstanding speed and skills that they'd honed over many years in these colleges, if you will, <laughs> in Russia. Eastern European domination of the game shook many a diehard Canadian. No longer would the sport's finest players come exclusively from just one country. Ice hockey is now a global industry. An ice hockey player has the skill of skating to attain the highest level of the sport. You have to be an extremely proficient skater and you have to hone your skating skills. The top players in North America and Canada, and I'm sure the same is true in Scandinavia, Czechoslovakia and Russia where it's played at its highest levels, will spend hours on their local ponds or streams or ice rinks just learning to skate, skating backwards, skating forwards, skating sideways, stopping and starting, gliding, using a stick in the puck, shooting at a goal hundreds of times in a day to hone their skills. You have to be obviously extremely competitive and not to mind the knocks. I think the Canadians have a fairly robust attitude when their youngsters play the sport. Certainly efforts are made these days with the youngsters to wear gum shields and face masks. But certainly the older generation of hockey players, and I'm sure the same is true in mainland Europe, you can tell a hockey player because his front teeth are missing. I'm not sure the game changed in a major way in the 70s and 80s. We soon learned a lesson from the Russians. We soon had to eat some humble pie and agree that we had to concentrate more on the skills of the players than we had in the past. The Russians had a song a few years ago which was, Cowards Don't Play Hockey. And because it's such a game which requires such physical contact, you find people that don't like suffering cuts and knocks and bruises and aches and pains certainly will not be playing that game. I used to referee a lot of junior games and uh, you see kids of 14 and 16 playing. They have their parents there who will be screaming over the boards, knock his head off, knock him over, take him out, which is not possibly the way we should uh, <laughs> encourage our youngsters to play a team sport. I think a lot of the countries, take Israel or South Africa, for example, are dealing with maybe two, three rinks in the whole country. It's, I guess, limited as to what kind of program you can put out when the youngsters don't have an opportunity to skate and adapt their skills to the game. Times have changed and the days of Long Pond are now forgotten. This is Manchester, England, one of the latest converts to the global game. As coach, the big man Kurt Kleindorst took the Manchester Storm to the height of success. This is where hockey's growing and becoming a known product. The NHL televises games worldwide now, and I think uh, just having the game out there really, really helps to give exposure to the game and people see it and enjoy it. Here in baking hot Florida, they've also taken up the sport. But back up north, in cooler Canada, they want to reinvent their former supremacy and are busy organizing team training for their young. 
coaching programs were brought in so that the young kids coming along could get better tips on how to improve the fundamentals of their game and I think that has paid off with some outstanding results. We also produced the goon in hockey. Certain teams found that they had smaller players. If they brought in a 200-pound thug who can beat up on other players, it was an intimidation factor. And I guess that stemmed from the Broad Street Bullies, meaning the Philadelphia Flyers back in the 70s. They had three or four players of that ilk, and they kind of beat their way to the Stanley Cup championship, and other teams tried to follow suit with bigger and tougher players. I don't personally admire the goon who plays the game, and I really would like to see the game played without the physical presence of some thug on the ice who collects all the penalty minutes and never scores a goal. But that was a trend that developed, and then the, the trend came back to the Montreal Canadiens in the late 70s who proved that speed and finesse could still be better than any goon-type hockey. I mean, fisticuffs fighting, for instance, which is frowned on very much in rugby and football, uh, and ice hockey is not frowned on with quite such severity and is an accepted part of the game. It's against the rules, and if a player starts throwing punches and it seems severe enough, the referee will rule him off the ice, or even he could be suspended for several games or various lengths of time. Brian McFarlane is one of Canada's greatest commentators. He's guided the nation through some of the most violent moments in ice hockey history. As commentators, we take it as just part of the game. Some fans leap to their feet and get terribly excited when there's blood spewing from a cut on the ice or there's a fist in the face, that sort of thing. Uh, once you've seen all that a number of times, it becomes passe. You can do far more damage to your opponent if you wield a stick across his body or kick him with a sharp skate blade. So the perceived violence of fighting is more of a safety valve in a body contact sport. If that wasn't permitted, players might resort to other more heinous crimes. Certainly the incidence of fighting is being clamped down upon by the rule makers and the governing bodies. And I think there could be a time where it's virtually non-existent. So to the outside observer, it's probably still seen as a violent sport. I suspect that that's the way it will always be perceived. And let's be honest about it, the people who do watch the sport, who do write about the sport, who do publicise the sport, tend not to downplay that. I think we kind of chuckle at the fans who really get upset about fights on the ice or look for fights on the ice. Ice hockey is played on a 200 feet long, 100 feet wide surface of artificially frozen ice, surrounded by a barrier about three feet high, and most rinks above that there will be a clear plastic glass screen to save the puck, which is the object you play with. It's a flat rubber disc, one inch thick and three inches diameter. You'd be surprised at how few times any player involved in a fight becomes injured, far less than from the physicalness of the sport, the physical contact, and the aggressiveness that the sport has within. So I think that people tend to make that observation when they don't understand the sport. The governing bodies realise that perhaps the fighting element is very much overblown. It doesn't happen in every game, it happens in very few games. You do get the odd game where you get the punches thrown. I wouldn't uh, give anybody the wrong impression. If you watch perhaps a, a league schedule of 30 games over a season, you might find four or five games where some punching went on and the players were suspended. But I suspect the promoters of the game perhaps have a sneaking idea of not completely ruling that out. Certainly North America, where the sport is known as a beer sport and where the fighting, I think, tends to be played up a little more than it would be in Britain and Europe. Here in the Sunshine State, the Florida Panthers have notched up yet another victory. 
A few weasels from the other team have ended up battered and bruised, but the strongman won through, and the carnage was worth it. Kirk Muller is a star player. It's kind of like a, a Jekyll and Hyde. I mean, they get, a lot of guys get the skates on, and all of a sudden they get a, a competitiveness in their, in their eyes. And, and it's a battle out there. I mean, it's a, it's a hard-hitting physical game. And, you know, otherwise, once the game's over, most guys, uh, they're pretty easy-going guys and pretty mild-mannered. The fights are genuine fights. Players do tend to get hyped up. I used to referee the game, and you can see some players, you will see the red mist come to their eyes. I don't believe that in ice hockey, the rule makers will ever try and promote the sport by relaxing the rules so much that fighting becomes a bit like that film Slapshot with Paul Newman, which was a parody of the game, but in many ways did the game a disservice because a lot of people thought that's what the game was all about. I did a lot of damage to certain people, which I felt bad about, and a lot of people did a lot of damage to me, but that was part of the game. The old story you play with by the sword, you get stuck by the sword at the odd time, so uh, it became more difficult as you got older. In the old story, there was always somebody bigger and stronger than you. Some players are tough as well as rough. Bob Bond broke his leg and still won the game for his team. I went into the hospital in Detroit and they taped it up and froze it. I just came out of the hospital and jumped right over the boards and went onto the ice and puck came around the boards and I took a slap shot at the puck and the puck changed directions and went into the net. Anybody who's hooked on their sport, they would claim their sport is special. But it's played in a very intensely emotional atmosphere. I know people who watch football or cricket are going to say that, but it's very intense. I mean, the, the whole action only takes an hour of playing time, whereas football takes probably a bit longer, and certainly cricket takes, to my mind, an extraordinary length of time to play. So it is a fact it's an all-action game. It's a body contact as well. But it is the fact that attack and defence switch very quickly. A shot at the goal, pucks away up the other end, the crowd are roaring... Because the fans are sitting relatively close to the playing surface, you get a tremendous interaction between the players and the fans, so one feeds off the other. It's amazing a number of people who go to see the first ice hockey game are hooked and uh, go back for more and more throughout the rest of their lives. And the number of people I meet, you find that they first watched it 40, 50 years ago and have been watching it whenever they can ever since. In the South and in Dallas and places like Florida, the big sports here are football, college football or professional football, I think hockey has a lot of the same aspects to it. It's very fast-paced. It's very violent. Your typical ice hockey fan is probably, I would say he's a cross between a football fan and a baseball fan. The football fan likes the hitting, likes the violence, and at the same time, the baseball fan likes the strategy, likes the skill level, the fact that you can hit a ball and you can shoot a puck while standing on skates, and the players are skating around the ice. It's kind of a wild atmosphere. The hockey fans are excitement seekers. The appeal of the game is the harsh body contact and the speed of the action on the ice. And of course, they love it sometimes when fisticuffs erupts and a few punches are thrown. A lot of other purists say we could take that out of the game and it wouldn't bother anybody, especially people like me who've watched thousands of games over the years. You see everything. You see things happening in the offensive and defensive zones, players flying all over, line changes, the sheet of white ice, players flying back and forth. That's what captured my attention right away. And whether or not I could see a puck from the balcony that I was sitting in didn't really matter. It was just watching the guys flying around the ice. Ice hockey is played by six players. A goalkeeper who is very heavily padded, wears a face mask, and has a very wide stick, and a very big glove to catch the puck, almost like a lobster pot. You have two defending players, and then you have three forwards, centre, left wing, right wing. The five out players tend to operate as a unit, so even a defenseman 
can go up the ice and score a goal. So you tend to have constant attack. It can be a rough sport at time, and I think that obviously attracts people. But there's a lot more to it than that. And as they get to know the game, I think that's what they're first drawn to is the almost the violence of it, which is you know not really what we want to promote, but that's a part of the game. It's a rough sport, and people get drawn to that. And then from there, they get to appreciate the game the more they learn about it. That a Panthers game, it's been pretty tame the last couple of years because you know the team hasn't been very good. It's funny, a few years ago, they went to the Stanley Cup Finals, and one of the players had killed a rat in a locker room, and the fans found out about it and eventually started throwing rats on the ice, so it became a big craze down here to throw rats on the ice, and during the playoffs, it was such a craze that it, thousands of rats were pouring out of the stands from fans throwing them on the ice, and they do it in Detroit, too. They throw octopuses on the ice. It can be a real spectacle, and at the same time, there's that other side where it can be very calm and your team's not playing well and fans will sit on their hands, they won't cheer or anything. The playing time is one hour divided into three 20 minute periods. Every time the referee blows the whistle for stoppage and play, the clock stops. So you can't play for time, you can't waste time. The top skating speed is around about 28 miles an hour. The puck can be travelling towards the goalkeeper at speeds of close to 100 miles an hour. Thus the goalkeeper has to be very, very agile and very well padded. Ice hockey is perceived by the public at large as a violent game. The violence is, to a certain extent, not quite as ferocious as it looks because the players in the uniforms are very well padded. It's a lot of hype before it starts. You know, there's sort of a build-up of the crowd, the lights that go out. They'll show video uh, montage images of fights and uh, goals and strobe lights and things like that. There'll be smoke coming up. They, they really do a lot to get the fans into it. It's almost like a rock concert. The violence is confined to the playing surface. Fans, both the home and the opposing team, will mix quite happily in the bars and the walkways off the ice. I won't say there isn't any occasion of some kind of squabble or dispute, but very rare. You certainly don't get any violence within the arenas anywhere near the level you would have in soccer. You'll find people with babies in arms, you'll find lots of young children there, teenagers, husbands and wives, grandparents, family units. So it's very much a family sport. And it's amazing how uh, women can get quite carried away by it get quite vocal and quite, uh, I wouldn't say hysterical, but I remember my mother, who was a very really sedate middle-class lady, but when she used to watch ice hockey, she'd be standing up out of a seat streaming with the rest of them. Toronto, the home of ice hockey's most famous institution. The Maple Leaf Gardens and the Maple Leafs are synonymous with the game. If you walk down to Maple Leaf Gardens any time the day of a game, You'd be finding people in the street, could I buy a couple of tickets here, just to get in the ring. Now they'd pay twice, three, four times as much for a ticket as the normal price. So the scalpers, as we call them, would make a lot of money. So it was the number one entertainment in town, no question. 15,000 sold out every night. Papers would be full of it, and the hockey players were heroes. Everyone looked up to them. Everybody knew their names and oh, how much they weighed and which way they shot and like a movie star. Marcel Dion, Tim Horton and Red Kelly are just some of the most famous faces to grace the ice. Red played in 19 Stanley Cups. He entered Parliament in the 60s, but homesick for hockey, he would return to the ice. Gump Worsley was a star goalie he refused to the bitter end to wear a face mask. 
and Marcel Dion was the league's most gentlemanly player and one of its all-time highest scorers. At Ice Hockey's Hall of Fame in good old Toronto, these are the heroes of the rink, the stars with skates. The Rocket Richard, in my time, was the most famous hockey player for the Montreal Canadiens. He scored a lot of goals. He was tremendous from the blue line into the net. He couldn't have been stopped. He got four or five goals in one game, strictly on that breaking in from the blue line. Not the prettiest player you'd ever see, not the most fancy player, but as far as determination and guts and grit, he was number one. Jimmy Gray is a former star player who's seen the game develop. He believes the sport hasn't always improved for the better, but acknowledges the players are faster than ever. Commentator Brian McFarlane agrees. Players today, uh, Europeans, North Americans generally, are in my opinion much better players than they were 50 years ago. In all aspects, I think of team sports these days are all sports. People are much more aware of the level of fitness they have to obtain off the ice. I know the professional players spend several hours each day in the gym working out. Players are much more aware of the dietary requirements to become a top-level athlete. The equipment is far better, the equipment is lighter, it gives far more body protection, it's far more ergonomically and efficiently designed. But the game has changed as well, and there are far more substitutes. So on the ice it's constant action all the time. As soon as they get tired they go off, have a rest, replaced by other players equally fit. Gary Meager represents the sport's governing body, the NHL. It's the speed, it's the manner in which every play in every period of every game is so different. There's no structure to it. You have to be creative and you have to use your imagination and go with the flow. And that's what makes it such a wonderful sport. You have hardcore countries like Finland, Sweden, Germany that have been playing for years and years, but we have very interesting countries that are now participating like Mexico and Spain and Greece and New Zealand, and I think the level of competition has increased to the point where it has become quite professional in many, many countries. Certainly the A-pool countries, the Germanys, the Finland, Swedens, they're playing very, very competitive hockey. It's good for the promotion of the sport. It remains to be seen if Canada will once again dominate the world of ice hockey. Windsor and Montreal may continue their quest for the birthplace of the game, but the future of the sport appears to lie far from the shores of Canada. Ice hockey's popularity is now truly global. Countries whose midday sun burns throughout the year are hooked. Magnificent stadiums are being built as temples to this great game, and television is the key to the growing success of the puck and stick. I grew up as a fan of the National Hockey League and a fan of hockey because of what I was able to watch on television. I grew up in Montreal as a Montreal Canadiens fan and didn't get to see my first game until I was 12 years old. So that attachment that I developed with the game had to come via television. Join me next time for another Get Your Sticks, Whack em in the Head, Oh My Goodness, There's Blood on the Blue Line episode of Proops on Ice. Certainly as we move forward, the marketing of the game, particularly in the United States, television is a vital component of that. I'm Greg Proops, and this is Proops on Ice. The program was produced in Birmingham by New Street Productions.